Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Dear listener, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have your company again today. We are continuing on in our program, which covers the book 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return. In our last program, we covered the purpose for God's church, God's purpose for His church, and that was a really good study. And if you have any questions, you're always welcome to contact us. We present our contact details to you at the end of the program. But today we are following on from that to day 40 in the book, and it is a church prophesied to appear at the end time. So we're on page 127, and these subjects all sort of dovetail with one another. Day 41 talks about God's purpose for calling his end time church into existence. So we'll probably start uh, covering that as well, Colin. And I'm looking forward to today's study, but as we always do, and as is our custom, we're just asking God to bless us and to give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So please join with us in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, it is such a privilege to have freedoms in this country that we can enjoy spending time in your word, Father, and studying and understanding and also sharing with other people. And Father, not only Colin and myself, but also those listening, Father, have been called also to understand the gospel and to share it. We cannot understand it of ourselves, and therefore we pray again for a fresh anointing for the baptism of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that Jesus said would lead us into all truth. And, Father, now as we open the words of truth, may you help us understand, may you guide and lead our thoughts, may Jesus be lifted up, and may we be drawn ever closer to him, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, dear listener, we are looking forward to today's study. We're now getting into prophecy a little bit. And I don't know about you, Colin, but prophecy has played a significant role in my walk with the Lord. Matter of fact, when I had atheistic beliefs at around about the age of 21, so we're almost going back 30 years now, it was prophecy that convinced me that there was a God, and a God that knew the end from the beginning. And I think we may have touched on it in previous programs, but Isaiah 41 And in Isaiah, God is the one that says that he knows the end from beginning. And he even puts out a wager there against all other false religions and false gods to say, if they are gods, why don't they tell us what happened in the past? And if they are gods, why don't they tell us what will happen in the future so we know what will come? And God is very clear in prophecy that he tells us what will happen in the future. He knows the end from the beginning. Nothing can surprise God. And that was one of the attributes of God that he actually sits outside of time that convinced me that there was a God. And perhaps we can just start with Isaiah 41, and we'll read from verse 21, and it goes through to verse 24. And it says, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them. And know the latter end of them So the latter end of them obviously is what's going to be in the future Or declare to us the things to come So that talks about the future again So we're talking about prophecy Show the things that are to come hereafter That we may know that you are gods So in other words God is saying If you can't do this you are not a god doesn't matter what your religion is and what your claim is If you do not have prophecy in your religion How do you test whether it's true or false? Well, God says, if you are genuine God, you'll be able to do that. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. 
Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. And Colin, may we be so bold to say that unless it is the God of the Bible, unless it is the God that prophesies the end from the beginning, it is a false religion, and they are false gods. Well, that's what convinced me as well. I have a similar, <laughs> oh, really? okay. I have a similar testimony to you, Etienne. Uh, as I said, I was walking down Bondi Beach in Australia mm. 25 years ago, and uh, someone handed me a book on the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Okay. And it was the, you know, the challenge in, also in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, where you know, Isaiah says, and God is, you know, Holy Spirit speaking through him, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. Mm. So the first statement that God's made here in Isaiah 46, verse 9, is that I am God, there is no other. That's very clear. There is no other God. Yes. He says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done and saying, my counsel counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. Mm. So here is God. He's put a challenge up for me. Yes. And the challenge was, he says, I'm God. There is no other. Yes. And he says, I can prove it. Absolutely. And no other God or religion can do that. Mm. He says, I can declare the beginning to the end. Mm. And when you read the Bible, scholars believe that at least probably 30% of it that's right. Approximately 30% of the Bible is prophecy. Mm. It's God saying what he said he can do, proving it. And it was that all the prophecies in the book of Daniel uh, and Revelation that convinced me there was a God. Mm. So I took that challenge up in Isaiah 46 verse 9, and then I went and looked up all these prophecies. I mean, there are hundreds of prophecies just concerning Jesus' first coming. Hundreds of prophecies. Yes. Well, there's at least 300. We know there's over 300. Yes. But uh, some people have done some uh, investigation. What are the the chances of some just eight of those 300 mm. prophecies taking place? You know, and then they put a a, a a possibility, a probability score on it. So, for example, that Jesus would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. I think there was a chance of one in thousand. And then they put all these together. So they just took eight prophecies and they came up to a number. It was 10 to the power of 17. So it's got 17 zeros behind it, the probability of just eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in sequence. Let alone 300. (laughs) Let alone 300. So if you are not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, go and look at the prophecies Mm. in the Old Testament concerning him, where he would be born. Even the 70-week prophecy, when he would appear and be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, God has a time frame for everything. Absolutely. And so this was what convinced me that it was a God. And, you know, as I read the books of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, 8, and 9, we see that the prophecies are listing the history of the world from the time of Babylon, which was around 606 BC, mm. until Jesus' return. And in Jan- Daniel chapter 7 and 8, we find a very important sequence of events related to the church. So you have a history. Then we have also a history of the nations that will be ruling. And then you have also, we find in uh, chapter 7 and 8, we find important sequence of events related to the church. Mm. For example, Daniel chapter 7 verse 3 to 10 reveals four nations that are corresponding to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar, which was the ruling king in 606 BC, had. And Daniel, the prophet, interpreted the dream and told him that these were going to be four nations that would come, and he was the head of gold. Yeah, that's right. 
So, you know, we start off in Daniel 2 where he says that, you know, the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar mm. or Babylon. But then he tells them that uh, there would be another kingdom that would come up made of a chest of arms and silver. And we know that the kingdom of Babylon ended and Daniel lived to see this happen. And the silver kingdom replaced the gold. And we know in October 13, 539 BC, the golden kingdom of Babylon came to an inglorious end. Mm. And during the reign of Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's proud and arrogant grandson, Cyrus the Mede, laid siege to Babylon and overthrew it. That's right. And so began the kingdom of Medo and Persia. Mm. Uh, interesting, in Isaiah, this was written maybe 100, 100, 150 years before, Isaiah even predicts the name of the king that would come through the gates. He names the, names the name of the king Cyrus. Incredible, isn't that and so, incredible? And so, you know, as you read these things, you're just convinced there is a God. Mm. There is a God. And so then we know that, um, but also he said there would be another kingdom made of belly, of thighs, of brass. So a new superpower ruled the then known world. But like the golden kingdom of Babylon, that went before it. The reign of the Medo-Persian, the silver empire, would not last forever. This is what Daniel said. Mm. And then a brilliant young Greek general named Alexander the Great defeated Persia's Darius III at the Battle of Abella. Yeah, three, in, that's 331 BC, wasn't it? Yeah, and mm. at the age of 23, young Alexander came the rule of the most extensive empire the world had ever known to that time. Mm. But again, the dream says, but that empire will come to an end as well. That's right. And he talks about the fourth empire called the Legs of Iron, which is Rome. And that was what overthrew Greece. That happened on June 22, 168 BC at the Battle of Pydana. I think that's how you pronounce it. Or Pydna? Pydna? Yeah, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Yeah, P-Y-D-N-A. Okay. You can uh, pronounce it however you want. But uh, we'll go with uh, Pydna. Hmm. The empire of Alexander the Great perished 155 years after his death. And the Roman Empire succeeded the Greeks, thus becoming the fourth empire ruling from 168 B.C., to AD 476. Mm. So you've got this this history of these nations and it's repeated in and give more information in Daniel chapter 7. Right. So you, you have this repeat and enlarged principle within prophecy where you get the foundation laid and it shows you this whole big view from the time of Daniel right through to there's another kingdom that comes after the Iron Kingdom, of course. And that's that rock that's cut out without hands, and that's an everlasting kingdom, which is obviously the kingdom of Christ. That's but, right. But you get the revelation of that same now with more detail in Daniel chapter 7. Yeah. So, for example, um, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's given the vision, mm. and he sees that uh, Babylon is a lion with two wings. Right. Yes. And he sees that corresponding to the, you know, the head of gold. Yeah. Then he sees this bear uh, raised up with three ribs. Mm. Corresponding to the uh, Medo-Persia Empire and the three kingdoms that it uprooted and um, destroyed to become to take over the kingdom, then you have Greece, where he sees this leopard with four heads and four wings. You know, wings representing speed in the Bible. Yes, but he sees four heads, and we also know that um, you know when uh, Greece was divided when Alexander the Great. Uh, died, his empire was divided between his four top generals. Mm. And this kingdom ruled again from 331 to 168 BC. So just amazing. But also corresponding in the, uh, then you have the obviously the iron legs and then he sees this dragon beast yes. that has ten horns mm. and a little horn that comes up 
among the ten horns and plucks out three horns. And we know a horn in the Bible represents a kingdom or power. Hmm. And so that also corresponds to the feet that are made of what? Iron and clay. So they're part iron and part clay. Yeah. And so you have this corresponding beast uh, with Daniel in chapter 2 as well. Then we see who was this power that rose up, and we identified that as that being uh, Rome, who took over Rome, was the papacy. That's right. So it went from the pagan Roman Empire to the Holy Roman Empire. That's right. Hmm. And, um, and so you had what's called the little horn power. It comes up in the midst of ten and plucks three of them out of the roots. And the Bible says that this new little horn has the eyes like the eyes of a man hmm. and speaks pompous words. Yes. And the record of history is the key to identifying this little horn power. And history clearly records the three of those original ten pagan kingdoms into which old Rome splintered into were indeed plucked out by the roots and all were overthrown by the same power. Hmm. And so when the Roman Empire ended in AD 476, a struggle began for control of the 10 remaining parts of the empire. On one side, we have three of the pagan tribes, the Herulu, Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. On the other side was the Bishop of Rome and the emperors loyal to the Catholic bishop. One by one, the Catholic emperors overthrew these three rebel tribes. And so this uh, progression happened from about 493. We know the Heruli were overcome by the Ostrogoths. Then the Emperor Justinian sent General Belisarius to conquer the Vandals in AD 534. Mm. And General Belisarius then drove the Ostrogoths out of Rome in AD 538. Then we know in AD 533, this is just all history, yes. that Justinian decreed, Justinian was the emperor, emperor at the time, decreed that the Bishop of Rome was to rule supreme over all the churches. Mm, that's right. But this decree meant nothing until he and the other emperors were able to overthrow the three Aryan tribes, the Herulu, Vandals, and Ostrogoths, the three horns of Daniel chapter 7, just exactly as it happened. Mm. And this was accomplished in 538 538 AD. And that's when the era of the little horns power began. And it says in the Bible that uh, this power would have absolute power for another 1260 years. Mm. And so that would finish in 1798. And note this 1260-year period is found in the Bible prophecy in several places. Yeah. Not just one. We find it in Daniel 7.25. Okay. We find it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. We also find it in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. Revelation 11, chapter 3. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. And Revelation 13, verse 5. This three and a half years, 42 months. 1260 days. So here we have the setting. And so immediately following Rome's description, it says in we go to uh, in Daniel, let's go to the book of Daniel. Okay. And so here we have a succession, a time succession. So you have, you know, all the times of the uh, four major powers. Then you have the little pawn ruling from 538 AD to 798. Mm. Then we see that uh, in Daniel chapter 7 it reveals that judgment will begin in verse 13 and 14. Have you got that? Right, yes. It says in verse 13, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given, this is verse 14, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So I'm just wondering if we just step back to explain the Ancient of Days set up there and what happened. So we can go to verse 9 of Daniel Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9 and 10. Let's read that. It says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. So in other words, thrones are put in place in the place where the Ancient of Days was not. Once those thrones are put in place, the Ancient of Days comes and he was seated. And it says, His garment was white as snow, his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. So even the wheels signifies the mobility, mm. you know, that, that this can actually move. It's a moving, movement, moving judgment. Or, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so it shows movement there. And then it says, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And then these incredible words, The court was seated. And the books were open. So the court sits when the when the angel of days comes and he's seated on these thrones that were set in place. So what does that describe to you? What's what when you think when you read that, right? Hmm. What scene are you picturing here? Well, you're looking at a judicial process. You're looking at mm. a judgment scene, aren't you? A judgment setting, especially with the fact that the books are opened. Now, when the court is seated and the books are opened, this is. At this time is when the uh, the Son of Man comes with the clouds of heaven, and he comes to the Ancient of Days, as we read in verse 13, hmm. and it says they brought him near before him. So there's a close connection between the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And during this process, as we read in verse 14, it says, during this process to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Now, we in Daniel 7, Daniel 2 spoke about a dominion, a glory, and a kingdom that would not pass away. Mm. So through the judgment process, that's how that last kingdom is set up, the one the stone cut out without hands. And then we read there uh, that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So that everlasting kingdom in Daniel 2 is the same kingdom which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So all the other kingdoms will be destroyed, but this one will not be so destroyed. that's what's going to happen right at the end. That's but right. I want to go back to following this sequence of events because mm. what we've had is a sequence of events um, in history. Yes. You've, you've had, for example, you've had the, uh, you know, you had Babylon, you had Medo-Persia, then you had Greece, then you had Rome. Then you have these the dividing of Rome, dividing of Rome. Mm-hmm. Then you have this little horn power. That's right. Or the papacy that ruled from 538 to 1798. Yes. Well, it says it would rule for 1260 years, and then it said mm-hmm. it would be wounded. Yes. Something would happen. Well, did something happen in 1798? Okay. Well, that's a good question because I mean the sequence of uh, pr- prophecy suggests to us that something happens to take away that dominion for a period of time. Yeah, so what actually happened in 1798? Well, in 1798, we look at history, we find that um, Napoleon was marching across Europe. Mm. And he sends his general, Berthier, who comes into the, to Rome, where the uh, church, the papacy sits, and it says he took him prisoner and putting him in jail. That's right. He put him in jail where, where he died. And so... You know, we see this sequence of events that happened in 1798. And then we see back in Daniel chapter 7, as you just read, about the, this judgment that was set up. That happened sometime after 1798, mm. after this 1260-year prophecy that the papacy would rule. So what happened? How can we find what happened then? When did this judgment begin? And so how can we find? Well, interesting we can go to um, Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, and here it talks about this 
prophecy mm. of cleansing of the sanctuary. Right. So let's read that. And it is part of a greater, it's part of a, another prophecy, which is called the 70 weeks prophecy. Mm. So let's just have a look at that. Yeah, and it's very important to remember we've done Daniel 2. We've looked at Daniel 7 now, which repeats and enlarges on Daniel 2. Daniel 8 does the same thing. It repeats and enlarges. So what happens is Daniel 8 actually drops away Babylon because we now find ourselves with a prophecy that starts with Medo-Persian Empire. And then it gives us this time prophecy here. But it's, a, it's an answer to a question, and this is the question in Daniel 8.13. Hmm. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, so I'm in verse 14, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. So it's clear that God wanted to share with Daniel just when this, you know, and the judgment, right? Mm. Talking about the judgment, okay, because he's following that judgment happened after the, the 1260 years in 1798. Sometime after that, there'll be a judgment that begins uh, in heaven. Obviously, yes. this scene is in heaven. Mm. And he's going, how long? <laughs> yes, how, long right. is, how long is it going to be before this starts? And so, you know, it's clear God wanted to share that with Daniel. When the, and when it's called judgment, was called the Day of Atonement. When mm. you go back and look in the Old Testament, uh, in Le- Leviticus chapter 16, it talks about a Day of Atonement, yes. which Yom Kippur, which was Judgment Day. That's right. And so, so it's clear God wanted to share this to Daniel when the real Day of Atonement in heaven will begin. 2,300 days from when, though? When From when? When's the starting well, point? We, we're not told in Daniel chapter 8 what the starting point is. So what we have is, is we talk about what's called this 70 weeks prophecy. Mm. And when the vision Daniel received in chapter 8 was finished, God sent a heavenly angel named Gabriel to explain it to Daniel. But partway through the explanation, Daniel fell ill. And that's found in Daniel chapter 8, verse 27. And, you know, we read that Daniel says, I fainted and was sick for many days. Afterwards, I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Mm. But in the next chapter, after Daniel recovered, Gabriel returns to finish explaining the vision and he goes in and says uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. So he comes back to explain the vision in Daniel 9, verse 22 and 23. Yes, and it says, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, Daniel had not seen a vision in chapter 9, had he? He had seen a vision in chapter 8. So what vision is it referring to? It well, he's, he's talking about, he saw a vision about the 2300 days days mm. until the sanctuary is cleansed. That's right. So he's saying, well, I, he's, so the angels come out to give him understanding. That's right. So it is the vision of Daniel chapter 8 that he's giving him understanding because Correct. there's no vision up to this point in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is only praying and confessing the sins and also of himself and his people. And he's saying there that he's... Come to understand that there would only be 70 years determined for them to stay in Babylon before they would be returned. And he understood this from looking at the prophecies of Jeremiah. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing is there also that the word for vision in the original language in the Hebrew, there's two words. There is hazon and mare. Now, whenever he talks about the whole vision, he refers to it as the hazon. 
when he talks about the time period vision, the 2,300 days, he refers to it as the Mare. For example, in uh, Daniel chapter 8, verse 27, it says, When I, Daniel, feigned and was sick, and afterward I rose and went to do the king's business. I was astonished at the vision. The word vision there is Mare, but no one understood it. So he was given an explanation of the whole vision up to that point there, who the kingdoms were and so forth, right? He was getting an interpretation from Gabriel from verse 15 of Daniel uh, Daniel 8. But in Daniel 9, when he comes back, he doesn't say, I'm giving you further understanding regarding the Hazon. He's talking about the Mari. So in verse 23, he says, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. The word vision there is mare. So it refers to the 2,300 days. That's what he's come to explain. And that's right. And so I believe God wants us to desperately understand what is about to take place on this earth. Mm. So you and I and, and others can be prepared and ready for Jesus' second coming. Amen. And so we see in the next four verses, Gabriel outlines a fascinating time prophecy, explaining it as he went along. In verse 24, he says, the 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So who is he talking about? Who's, who are Daniel's people? So this is obviously Judah, the children of Israel. Yeah. yeah. And what was the holy city? Well, that's the Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yes. In, in Judah. Yeah, and he says, Judea. to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, mm. to make reconciliation for iniquity. Iniquity is another word for sins. Yes. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Mm. So out of the long 2300-day prophecy, part of Daniel's vision in chapter 8, Gabriel said that 70 weeks are determined, a word meaning cut off. Yeah, the word there in the Hebrew is chatak or kotak, mm. and that means to cut off. Now, cut off that period from what? If you're going to cut something off, it means you've got something bigger and you're going to cut off a portion. That's right. So the 2,300-day period is a, the longest time period in prophetic history, uh, history in the Bible. So 70 weeks then or 490, or so 77, 490 are going to be cut off from the 2,300. That's right. And so he's talking about his Jewish nation, the people of Israel. So during this 70 weeks, several things would take place. And these six tasks could only be fulfilled in and through the work of Jesus, the Messiah. Mm. I mean, who else, for example, could possibly make reconciliation for iniquity or bring in everlasting righteousness? That's right, yeah. So maybe we'll come back and we'll just take a short break and we'll come back and we'll unpack more this 2300-day prophecy that's linked to the judgment. And we can find out when the judgment began. Okay, well, that will be a fascinating study. So, Colin, I'm looking forward to uh, part two of the study. So, dear listener, thank you for being with us at the moment to study this uh, important subject. We're just going to take a short break, and we'll come back right after this message. Jesus always encouraged those who accepted his teaching sincerely. He took a great delight in those who accepted him and his teaching, helping them grasp the joy they would experience in their heavenly reward. An example of this is found in the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servants, which brings to an end the first part of his sermon on his second coming in Matthew chapter 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household, to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Matthew 24, 
Dear listener, welcome back. You are with You Shall Receive Power with Colin Hone and Etienne McClintock. And Colin, I am really enjoying our study through the prophecies of Daniel at the moment. Well, it's an amazing prophecy, and it convinced me there is a God. Mm. And also God showed me what's happened in the past. Everything he said came true. Yes. And it tells me also then I can have confidence in what's going to happen in the future, Amen. which we're going to look at a little bit more as well. Mm. And so, but in Bible prophecy, it's important to know about two keys to understanding Bible time prophecies. First, in Bible prophecy, literal time periods are often symbol of a much longer time period. Yes. For example, a 24-hour day, for example, stands for a year, a day for a year principle. And we can see that in Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, and Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6. Mm. So Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, and Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, gives us a key that a God appoints a day for a year in prophetic time. Yes, yeah, so the first time we actually see this principle applied is when God is wanting to take his children into the promised land. He sent, they sent out 12 spies and 10 come back with a bad report and two with a good report. Now they're in the land for 40 days. And when they reject God's injunction, his command to go and, and take the land because God had given it to them, because of unbelief, they decide not to do it. And then God says, well, if you don't believe me, if you, if you are rebellious, then you'll spend 40 days, 40 years, sorry, in the wilderness. And what he applies is for the 40 days that the spies were in the land, he now says a day for a year principle. So God prophesies from that point it will be another 40 years before they enter the promised land. And that 40 years is based on the 40 days that they spied out the land. So day for a year for telling the future. And that's the first time we see this day year principle in prophecy. And, of course, Ezekiel 4 verse 6 brings it out very clearly as well, a day for a year. Gives it a day for a year, I give. Mm. So and second key important to know is that while our years today have 365 days, in Daniel's time, the Jewish year had only 360 days. Mm. So applying these two keys, we realize that the 2300 days of Daniel chapter 8 verse 14 are really 2,300 years. Yes. In the same way, the 70 weeks here in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 are actually 490 years. That's obviously 70 weeks times seven days equals 490 uh, days or years. Mm. This means that the first 490 years of the longer 2300 years are cut off or determined for several important things to be accomplished. And we read in what is in verse 25, it says something will be accomplished. What does verse 25 say? Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So here we have a starting point. Hmm. He says, no, therefore understand that from the time going forth, command restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, which was what is said back in verse 24, to anoint the most holy, yes. to the most, which is the anoint is the Messiah. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's going to be... There's going to be a starting point. Mm. So the first 69 weeks of this 70-week prophecy begin with the command to restore and build with Jerusalem. Mm. So we can learn when this command was given. We'll have the starting date for both the 70 weeks and the longer 2,300 days or 2,300 years from the beginning of which the 70 weeks was cut off. So mm. this is a whole long prophecy, and the 490 years is part of this 2,300-year prophecy. So guess what? The Bible and history tells us exactly when this command was decreed. Mm. So the decree is described in Ezra chapter 7, verse 13 to 26, and was sent out by the Persian king 
Artaxerxes in the year 457 BC. That's right. Now, that's actually the third decree because what happens is the, the prophecy says that the decree will include the building of the walls as well. It's interesting that the first uh, period there. You find that in Ezra chapter 1. Yeah, the first period mentioned there is a seven weeks. So seven sevens are 49, and it took them from the time they started rebuilding Jerusalem till they actually finished the walls and the sanctuary was a total of 49 years. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And so sometimes it's easy to confuse the date or dates of this prophecy because there were two other decrees, as you said, Mm. in Ezra. Well, we find that in Ezra 1, this decree is missing a vital point of the prophecy. It only decrees the building of the temple, not Jerusalem. That's correct. And that's a huge difference. Mm. The other decree found in Ezra chapter 6, this decree, like the first one, talks only of the temple. Mm. The third decree in the seventh chapter is the right decree. Yes. This decree not only talks of the temple, but of restoring the law of God. This third decree is the last decree. The temple is finished. Also, when you look at Ezra chapter 9, verse 9, you read that the walls of Jerusalem were to be rebuilt. It was to restore everything. So Gabriel explained that the 69 weeks were the sum of seven weeks plus 62 weeks. Well, 62 plus 7 is 69. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So during the first part, the seven weeks, the angel says the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. In other words, the seven weeks would be for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Mm. You know, the seven times 49 years, exactly what you said before. And the 62 weeks, that would be explained in verse 26. Let's look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So sometime after the 62 weeks, Gabriel said the Messiah would be cut off, a reference to Christ's death yes, on the cross. That's right. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if that actually lined up when Christ was baptized and when he was crucified? Mm. Wouldn't it be amazing if it actually lined up? Let's, that would be amazing. Let's look up and see if it does. And so let's do some maths and see where we are on the timeline of this prophecy. But first, be careful not to miscalculate. Based on the changeover from B.C. to A.D., you know, you've got before Christ and you've yeah. got um, A.D. Yeah. And Adomini, the year of our Lord. Lord. That's right. Yeah. To remember here, though, there was no year zero. Hmm. All right. So B.C. counts counted down to the year one B.C. This year was followed immediately, not by a zero, but by A.D. one. Hmm. OK, so keep this in mind as we move to the next verse. Let's go to verse 27. Okay, I'll read verse 27 there. It says, And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Right. So the 69 weeks ended in AD 27. Mm. AD 27. Because if you go from 457, all right? Yes. And you go 70 weeks, that would take you to AD 34. So you come back one week, which would be in the, what, 69th week, all right? Hmm. You come back, and that is in AD 27. That's right. But it's very clear in verse 25. Until Messiah the Prince would actually be 69 weeks, which would be the seven weeks plus the 62 weeks, as I mentioned there. That's right. And notice that in verse 27 says that the Messiah would confirm the covenant with many for one week. Hmm. And history shows us that Jesus began his ministry at his baptism. That was when he was 
anointed. That's right. Yeah, and it did said to he would be anointed. Hmm. And that happened in the year AD 27. That's right. It was in the 15th year of the reign of King Tiberius. That's right. And he had started his co-regency with his father in 12 AD. That's right. And 14 AD, his father passed away, and then he was given full regency at that time. So that takes us to 27 AD. And uh, chapter 3 of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, clearly brings that out. That's right. He says in the 15th year of Tiberius, yes, yeah. right, Jesus was baptized, mm. which was in AD 27. 27. That's right. Exactly. Uh, but also says that in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And we know that the system of sacrifices and offerings, as we've earlier seen, was part of the desert sanctuary. You know, they were doing offerings. Lambs were every day. There was You brought a lamb or a dove or a turtle or all sorts a of things. Or a bull if you're yeah, a, a for, ruler. For sacrifices yeah. and offerings. Uh, when the symbol met the reality, Christ's sacrifice on the cross... What need will be there after for symbolic sacrifices to continue? So, mm. of course, when Christ died on the cross, he was the, you know, the, the reality of the type. And so what is the point of continuing sacrificing when the ultimate sacrifice, the Son of God, right, was made yeah. on the cross? So Christ's very real sacrifice brought that to an end at the cross. Absolutely. And when did Jesus die on the cross? Well, again, history shows that he died in the year A.D. 31, mm. precisely in the middle of the week. Remember, 27 A.D. to 34 A.D., right mm. in the middle of the week. That's right. We should... Three and a half years. That's right. Yes. Yeah. As predicted by this prophecy. Remember, to that verse 20, in verse 26 said that Jesus would be cut off somewhere after the 69th week mm. or in the midst of the week. So what about confirming of a covenant with many for one week? What does that mean? Well, this refers to the period of time Jesus focused his efforts primarily on his people Israel. Mm. But with the stoning of Stephen in AD 34, we find in history that after that stoning, the apostles and the disciples who were all in Jerusalem were scattered. Yes. And so the gospel message now went out to the Gentiles, not Jews, that is, to the entire world. Mm. So it first went to Israel first, and that's happened in that first week, in that seven-year period. So... This then is rather abbreviated form and overview of the 70 weeks prophecy. But to finish the bigger picture that began in Daniel chapter 8, 14, which was the original question, well, how long until the cleansing of the sanctuary? Yeah, that's right. Well, how long will it be trampled on the sanctuary? And, uh, and this cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven refers to judgment described in verses listed above in Daniel chapter 7 and 8. And God wanted the world to know that the judgment began and we're going to find out the date when the judgment began. Okay. okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So let's have a look at it, right? At the cleansing. We need to complete the prophecy timeline. So in the first 70 weeks, part one of the 2300-day prophecy brought us to the near year of AD 34. Then let's do a little bit of maths. We subtract 70 weeks, or let's say 490 prophetic years from 2300 years, and that leaves 1810 years for part two of the prophecy. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. All right. All that remains then is to add this 1,810 years to the end of this 70 weeks in AD 34, and guess where we've come to? We come to the year AD 1844. Mm. And isn't that interesting that when you looked at the timeline in Daniel chapter 7, it says this little horn will rule, or the papacy, when we identified this as the papacy, from 538 A.D. to 1798, and it says sometime after that the judgment would begin. Mm. Well, 
1844 is sometime just after 1798. That's right. It's not very It's many only 46 years. years. That's only right. Only 46 years. Mm. So when we have a look at this, Daniel's vision of the Bible's longest time prophecy, the 2300 days or 2300 years, studied clearly in Daniel 8, chapter 14, for 2,300 years, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. We've now by step by step established that the 2,300 years ended in year 1844. And then the Bible says that the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Mm. Now, the confidence we have, because, I mean, what happened on earth? Was there any significant event to show us what was happening in heaven? On earth, we can't say that there was anything significant during this particular date. But the confidence we have in prophecy is that the 70 weeks were cut off. The 490 years were cut off from the 2300. And we can clearly establish the beginning of the Messiah when he was anointed, when Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism in 27 AD. Then it's the last week of the the 70-week prophecy that uh, that starts, that in the middle of the week it says he will bring an end to sacrifice and also that he will be cut off of himself during that last week. So we can see that happened at 31 AD. And also he confirms the covenant with many for one week. Well, what happened at the end of that final week, which was 34 AD, if it started in 27 AD, we can see the persecution broke loose and the next person to be killed after Jesus for his faith was Stephen the deacon, who was full with the Holy Spirit, pro- proclaimed the gospel, and Israel as a nation sealed their fate because the prophecy, they could seal up the prophecy, they could stop the prophecy there, but because they rejected the Messiah and then started killing or persecuting Christ in his followers, they then sealed their fate. Their branches were, 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 were chopped off from the stump, and, of course, the, uh, the Gentiles, who was us, were grafted in. That's right. That's right. And that's why Jesus said, your, your house I leave to you desolate. desolate. That's right. When you're speaking on the mount, mm-hmm. you're saying we, you left it desolate. So here we have 1844. Well, was there something happening around 1844? Was there a message going out to the world? Absolutely. Yes, leading up to that, well, there we, was a great message that swelled right around the world. Called the Great Advent Movement. Mm. And so God obviously wanted to know, right, wanted to know that judgment began on October 22nd, 1844. Therefore, he raised up a movement that would warn the world of his judgments in preparation for Christ's second coming. And that church would emerge out of what has been called the Great Advent Awakening, which took place in the early mid-1800s. So that church became known as what? That Seventh Day Adventist Church. The Seventh Day Adventist yeah, Church. And that was established in 1863, formally formed in 1863. Which came out of the Great Advent Movement. Movement, that's right. And therefore, it's prophesied in Daniel that there would be a church to arise that would warn the world of God's judgment that is taking place in heaven in preparation for Christ's second coming. And that church or movement would rise sometime around 1844. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. Ever since 1844, this group of believers who later became known as Seventh-day Adventists, and these, yes. were, these were believers from all different churches mm. that came together and studied these prophecies out. And out of that movement, what later became known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, have proclaiming the judgment and warning of Christ's soon return. Now we can look and say, I want to look at what it's judgment, but what is this judgment? What happened? Yeah. Is there something in the Old Testament where this happened in? Yes, there is. There's some examples there. They used to have the daily feast or the daily sacrifices and then the annual sacrifices on the annual feasts. Which was called the Day of Atonement. Yes. And um, that was a yearly uh, thing that happened. And so we know the Old Testament sanctuary had an annual service called the Day of Atonement on which day the sanctuary was symbolically cleansed. Cleansed from what, though, Idian? 
Yeah, well, what was piling up into the sanctuary every day? Well, confessed sins were taken in there. That's so the right. Rec- the record of sin. So you would take your lamb mm-hmm. and you would place your hands on the lamb, transferring your sins, sins onto yeah. the lamb. Mm-hmm. Then the lamb was uh, throat was cut. That's right. And you would have to cut the lamb yourself. Yeah, yeah. So it's your sins that kills the lamb, the innocent uh, victim. Yes. Yeah. And then the blood would go into the police would collect the blood. He mm. would then take it into the sanctuary and sprinkle it into the sanctuary. So the record went from you to the land to the blood mm. into the sanctuary. That's right, yeah. So if you look at Leviticus chapter 4, it talks about the sin offering, and there's four different types there. It talks about you know, when the individual sins from the common people. It talks about when uh, a leader sins or when there's corporate sin, and also if a anointed priest sins. And with the group, with the corporate sins, and also when a high priest sins and brought guilt onto the people, those sins will be taken into the sanctuary and the blood will be sprinkled seven times before the veil and put on the horns of the altar of incense. For the common people, though, their sins were only recorded on the horn of the altar of burnt offering, which is on the outer court. Of the sanctuary, so but the whole sanctuary system was defiled by these sins that were that were brought into the into the sanctuary. So what had to be cleansed was the record, or the sins of God's people. That's right, recorded on the horns of the altar, both the the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense before the most holy. And that happened once a year on the day of atonement. That's dead right. So this was on the earthly sanctuary. Now Hebrews talks about a heavenly sanctuary. Yes, it does. In Hebrews, doesn't it? Mm. It talks about this heavenly sanctuary that Jesus has entered into. What? Into, into the, heaven itself, where the where the where the heavenly sanctuary is, the one that was built without hands, meaning it's of God's building. And so Jesus is our high priest. It tells us as well. That's right. Because the high priest used to perform these duties. So, yeah. but Jesus has taken his own blood into the sanctuary, hasn't he? The heavenly sanctuary. Yes, he has, and he's of a superior priesthood, which is the priesthood order of Melchizedek. So it's superior to the priesthood order of Levi. So, so basically, since Jesus went to heaven, he's been ministering. He's shed blood in the great courtroom scene in heaven. And when his work is done, the sanctuary shall be cleansed. cleansed. Mm. And so he will return to earth at his second coming. So though on earth we cannot see what's happening in this work of judgment and cleansing the sanctuary, the Bible has told us that it's happening. It's a solemn time. And just as ancient Israel on that symbolic day of atonement, what did they do? They spent their time in heart-searching and putting away their sins. The whole point was to put away their sins because if your sins were not in the sanctuary, you were cut off That's right. from the people. Yeah, it says that they were to afflict their souls um, on that day and also while the high priest was in the, in the uh, most holy part performing his work there. So he only went to that most holy place on their day of atonement, correct? That's the only time of the whole year, the whole sacrificial system for the year. That's the only time. And that was called the day of uh, atonement or Yom Kippur Day, Judgment Day. So Jesus then entered into a special work of cleansing the sanctuary or judgment in October 1844. That's right. Into the most holy place. Mm. That was the only time the, the priest would go into that time. And so... I believe that Jesus is continuing his saving work for us. The great enemy of us all, Satan, has before the whole universe accused each of us of sins as a reason we shouldn't be saved for eternity. And the Bible causes the accuser of our brethren. So also we find this church, right, or this movement is described in Revelation chapters 12, verse 17. Revelation 12, verse 17. So let's go there, Revelation 12, verse 17, and also Revelation 14, verse 1 to 5, because we can identify this movement in, in the book of Revelation and mm. Daniel. So here's a church or a movement since around about 1844 
He's proclaiming the second coming of Jesus. The day of judgment has began. That's right. And so let's read Revelation yeah. chapter 12, verse 17. And, of course, when anybody goes before the, uh, before the judge, any court always typically looks at the law and see whether someone's transgressed the law or not. So the judgment is based on the law of God as well. Yeah. And it says there in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon was enraged or wroth with the woman, as the King James says, yep. and went to make war with the remnant of his seed or the rest of her offspring. So what's a remnant? Well, it's what's left over. So it's rem- so it's in isn't it like material? I, yes, a material. I don't when you know have much a box, sewing in that. But. Neither do I. But I've known a little bit about it. I've been with my wife when she's gone shopping for cloth and for you know for fabric and that. Yeah. And you get a bolt of cloth. If there's a last bit of cloth left over, quite often they'll talk about a remnant sale. I don't know if they do it as often nowadays, but that will be the the bolt of cloth that's left over. The last pieces that are left over. The last few meters. So it's it's so it's like part of the original. It's part of the original, but this is the last few pieces. So the, quite often they'll they'll have a remnant sale. But it's what remains of the original bolt of cloth. Oh, I see. So, so, so it says here in that verse I mean, the dragon. Now, who the who is the dragon? Well, we were told already earlier that the dragon is the devil and Satan. So, in verse nine of Daniel, sorry, Revelation chapter twelve, it says the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of all called the devil and Satan. Now he's gone to make the whole world, and he's gone to make war with who? The he, he's enraged with the woman. What does the woman represent in the Bible? God's church. God's church, God's yeah. people. And he goes to make war with the rest of her remnant or offspring. So offspring. this is the last remaining this, church. This is the last part of, of God's remaining church. And, and these what are two the things do they church. have? It says they do two things there. It well, says, they, first of all, they keep. They keep the commandments of God. And? They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we're looking for a movement in the last days that comes out of the 1844 movement, mm. right, that's proclaiming a judgment message. Okay. Yes. The everlasting gospel. They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Okay. Well, we we get an answer for that further in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, where it tells us what the testimony of Jesus is. And we can read that. It says there, and I, and I found it. Chapter 19. Verse, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Yep. says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. So this is now John the Revelator falling before the angel's feet. But then the angel says to him, and he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So this angel's got the testimony of Jesus. That's what he's been giving John. Then he says, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we're going to have a last day movement that keeps the commandments of God, has the testimony of Jesus, Hmm. has the spirit of prophecy, is a prophetic movement. Uh, What else were they doing? Let's go to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, yeah. uh, verses 6 to 12, because it says here in verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Mm. And it says they're preaching a judgment message, and they're preaching what's called the three angels' messages. So yeah, that's what, right. So what's that? The th- let's have a look at the three angels' messages. Okay. Now, just as, just as we go to read that, I just want to make this point about the commandment keepers because there are some people who say that you cannot keep the commandments of God. And we in ourselves can't. But if you've died with Christ and he now lives in you, commandment keeping is the natural outflow of Christ's righteousness working in and through you. And the thing is, the thing that enrages the devil is that here are some people who are actually contrary to what he says— Actually demonstrating that God's commandments can be kept in his people 
So he's enraged against the offspring or the remnant of his seed who keep the commandments. Because it doesn't say here are they that try to keep the commandments, does it? No, it does not try or, or, or attempt or, or preach it only or no. It's who the, would like to? <laughs> it's they who keep the commandments. So what happened? What enrages the devil? Commandment keeping because it shows him to be a liar. Because he that, says no one can keep the commandments of God and no one needs it. Well, here God demonstrates through his people that commandments can be kept. So therefore he's enraged and he wants to destroy them. And it says they also have, there's another thing they have, they have the faith of Jesus. They have Maybe the that's the of secret Jesus. of keeping the commandments of God Amen. is to have the faith of Jesus. And isn't the new covenant, Etienne, in Hebrews chapter 8 and, verse, and chapter 10 say that under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit wants to write God's Ten Commandments on our, our mind yeah, and hearts. Put them in our hearts, says, write them in I our minds. I will do this. I will do this. God is continuing Amen. to say, I will do this. So here they have in Revelation chapter 6 that they're uh, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Hmm. So they're taking the gospel to the world, the everlasting Amen. gospel. Yes. They're saying in verse 7, with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. What, has, hour, what hour was that? It says the hour of his, hour judgment, of his judgment has, has come. come. Mm. So when did it come according to what we just what? did? 1844. So here's a movement that was saying since 1844, God's judgment has begun. He's That's entered right. his high priestly ministry, Jesus, mm. into the most holy place to cleanse the sanctuary or the record of sins. That's right. Not only in heaven, though, but wouldn't that be in our hearts as well? Absolutely. Mm. Well, we are the temple of God on earth. That's right. And mm. also, it says, is a call to worship him who made the heaven, earth, sea, and springs of water. Is there a quote from somewhere where that comes out of? Well, we see that in the fourth commandment of the, of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that, it you know, that. it's God as the creator. He rested on the seventh day. Um, and it says that he created the heavens, the earth and sea and all that is in them. And then rested the seventh day and hallowed it or sanctified and made it holy. So it looks to me the significant on the first angel's message is, is an everlasting gospel to preach the world. Mm. It's a call back to worship that the hour of judgment has begun. Yes. Uh, so it's really a call to people to repent and, and prepare for the second coming of Jesus. Because straight after Revelation 14, verse 6 to 12, it says that Jesus comes. That's right. And then also Revelation 12, 17 and 14, 6, in case that God's last day church will be a commandment-keeping people, proclaim the everlasting gospel, and the everlasting gospel is a gospel of deliverance from sin. Mm, amen. They would warn the world the hour of God's judgment has come, and they'll call men to worship God as creator, mm. of which the seventh-day Sabbath is a memorial of his creative work. That's right. The purpose being to prepare men and women for Christ's second coming. So I, it's probably through this last day church that God will fill the very purpose which he called the church into existence, which we saw in the previous um, mm. devotionals that we study. So this is amazing. The highest demonstration of faith is obedience to God because faith enables us to, to do all the things that God said he would do in and through us. By surrender to him, we receive the power of Christ working in and through us. And ultimately, obedience to the commandments of God is a demonstration of our faith. So those who do not believe that will actually uh, not be saved because it's by grace we are saved through faith, not mm. of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, dear listener, we just got to take a break and share our contact details with you. We'll be back right after this message. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973. 3456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au 
You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. If you have any questions, you're welcome to use those contact details and get in touch with us. Colin, this has been a fascinating study. I've absolutely loved this. And the more I look at this study, and it gets repeated in my mind through our studies, the more beautiful it becomes and the more I learn. Mm. Well, Eddie, it's it's the reason why um, I became a Christian Mm. 25 years ago after studying these prophecies in Daniel and Revelation and, and other parts of the Bible. I was convinced you know, what God's challenge in Isaiah chapter 46 and uh, 41, where he yes. says, I am God, there is no other. I can yes. declare the beginning and the end. And he's mm. proved it to me. He can. Amen. And as I looked in history and found all these things true, and I looked at all the prophecies concerning Jesus first coming, and I looked at the prophecies of, of uh, you know, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome and the ten, 10 kingdoms and the little horn and the 1260 days and, and 1844 when judgment began mm. and uh, this three angels message and you know, I looked at, well, who is this people giving this message? And as I, I looked at, they have the spirit of prophecy. They keep the commandments of God. They're giving the three angels' message to the world. It's a call to worship God, to keep the commandments of God, including mm. the Seventh-day Sabbath. I was convinced and joined the Seventh-day Adventist movement to proclaim this message mm. of the three angels' message to the world, to share it, to prepare people for the second coming of Jesus. So it's been really exciting to be part of that for the last 25 years uh, when I... Uh, when I discovered this. And so I just hope people will study this out for themselves. And, you know, there's Bible studies you can get that you can go through thoroughly yes. that will show these things to be true. Mm. And then I pray that people will join this movement with us to finish this uh, this message off to the world. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you for that, Colin. That's been uh, very inspiring to hear your testimony in regards to that. And my testimony is very much the same. I believe that there was a God after I looked at prophecy and showed me that he knew the end from the beginning. So, dear listener, we pray that you've been encouraged by this study today. Next week, we're going to do something really interesting. We're going to start looking at the identity, mission, and message of God's people. We've already touched on that, but we're going to unpack that even further and see the importance of the prophecies of Daniel Uh, Chapter 2, 7, 8, 9, right through to 12, really. So God bless you until we meet again. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.